When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's going on, everybody? Elliot Shortparts, Matt Lombardo here from at Lincoln Financial Field in the radio press box. And yes, we are here at the site of the NFC champion Eagles. And Matt, when we started the podcast last week, I did a bit of a monologue talking about I thought they were going to beat the Vikings. And I want to say this before we start the podcast tonight. This is a moment where I think we got to congratulate the Eagles fans. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you talk about just this city in general and the fact that this team has not reached a Super Bowl since mm-hmm. 2005 and the atmosphere in Lincoln Financial Field from moments before kickoff all the way through the confetti flying and the George Hallis Trophy presentation, it was unlike anything I've ever seen. And Patrick Robinson's pick six, when he crossed the goal line, it's the first time I've ever felt a stadium oh, and a yeah. press box shake. It mm-hmm. was unbelievable from start to finish. And I think it's just a testament not only to this city's love of the game of football, love of this team, yeah. but what this team has been able to accomplish this year with Doug Peterson and with and without Carson Wentz. And I think part of being a reporter, too, is, you know, we cover the games, we talk about the games, people agree with us, they disagree with us. It feels like this is something, in a way, we all do together. And being at that stadium tonight, I do think you could tell what a special moment this was in Eagles franchise history. I mean, that's not lost upon us. We'll talk about the X's and O's of the game. Yep. You know, we'll briefly maybe talk about what the next two weeks are going to be like. But tonight, guy, it's like it's a moment. Tonight is a moment in this game, in the, in the franchise, that I think we're going to be talking about for, for a really long time. And so. I think that it's the absolute perfect underdog Philadelphia story. And, you know, it, it's one thing to say and just point to the fact that this team was the first NFL team to be a number one seed and begin the playoffs as underdogs. Mm-hmm. They were home dogs in the NFC Championship game in their building against the Minnesota Vikings. But this city is a city of underdogs. It always yeah. has been. And that's why you just talk about what this team has embodied throughout the course of the year and the adversity that they've overcome, losing Carson Wentz, losing Jason Peters, losing Jordan Hicks, losing Darren Sproles, and on and on and on. And here they are heading into the Super Bowl as underdogs once again against the New England Patriots. And this feels like the prototypical Philadelphia success story. And, you know, we've been around a lot of these players for four or five years. Yeah. I know this is your fourth Super Bowl in a row. It's my second Super Bowl in a row. But it feels a little more special this time around covering a Super Bowl, knowing that it's this fan base and this franchise well, I and think, their chance to make And I history. think what it is is, we always talk about this, is one of our favorite parts, and I think Eagles fans talk about this a lot too, is one of our favorite parts of jobs interacting with the Eagles fans. And it's different in a way because we interact yeah, with speak them. Speak for yourself. Yeah, I'm yeah, that's sometimes kidding. I should say. <laughs> Eagles fans love football because it feels like it bring together as a family. I'm looking forward to the two weeks of interacting with you guys. But let's talk about the game tonight. Um, 
I think maybe it makes sense to start at the end in a way and then, and then maybe work our way back to the beginning because, you know, so we're, we're sitting in the press box and the, the, the time's clicking, you know, going down. You see they, they put the Gatorade bath on Doug. Uh, the scene in the locker room, what was that like to you? Let's yeah. try to explain to fans what that was like. Yeah, I think even before we get to the locker room, just waiting outside the locker room in the tunnel and the trophy ceremony had just ended and little by little the players are trickling through the hallway into the locker room and everybody's excited. Brandon Graham you know, gave this big speech running down the hallway mm-hmm. about how nobody's believed in them, they're still underdogs and I talked to Brandon Graham afterwards at length and you know, we'll talk about that later in the pod, right. but Carson Wentz came walking in. Guys were really excited coming off of the field, and you could just tell that it was kind of a cathartic moment, not just winning the NFC Championship, but winning it the way they did in front of their fans and in blowout fashion. I mean, Elliot, yeah. this game was out of hand in the fourth quarter. It was over. It was right. it was a countdown to a coronation as the Eagles becoming NFC champions, and you could really feel that energy as the players the, made their the way back in. The interesting thing to me was, so, as you mentioned, this, is, this will be my fourth Super Bowl, and I remember the first time I was at the Super Bowl um, as a reporter covering it. I was going in the winning locker room, and I was thinking, "All right, this is going to be like one of those moments you see on TV with champagne flying everywhere." I get in there; it was the Patriots that won it, and players are just like relaxing. It's quiet; they're they're getting changed, and to me, that was disappointing. When you walked into this Eagles locker room today, no, they didn't win the Super Bowl, but you could feel the excitement in there. I mean, players were they were you know uh, going on Instagram Live; they were they were taking pictures, they were using Snapchat, they were celebrating with each other. There was some family um, in in the locker room. And I don't mean to say that that they feel that this is, you know, their final victory and they're not going to try to win the Super Bowl or anything like that. But I think you could really sense it. I mean, you mentioned we were waiting in the hallway uh, watching the players kind of go from the locker room, from the field to the locker room. And one thing I noticed I thought was pretty cool was Nelson Aguilar, a guy that last year was benched against Seattle. A lot of people wanted him gone. They said, you know, a lot of Eagles fans said they would ride if they brought him back. I saw him walk from the from the field down the hallway into the locker room and on his way he not only like slapped the hand of every fan he shook the hand of every single fan uh, it must have been 20 or 25 guys so I think the Eagles are aware of how important home field advantage was tonight and how much their fans have been behind them and I think that's what you really felt in the locker room it was yes. a, it was a celebration like something I've never seen coming from a guy that's been in four Super Bowl locker rooms it was something I've never seen and, and it was also a workmanlike attitude it wasn't over the top you know they didn't parade in with the trophy there wasn't any you know euphoric celebration in the locker room that we saw like there was when Jeffrey Lurie was dancing Mm -hmm. um, in the locker room after the Falcons everybody talked about it Lane Johnson talked about the fact that the mission is incomplete to this point I mean he said he told me point blank that he feels like the Patriots have been on top in the NFL for a very long time and it's time that they get dethroned Uh, Jay Ajayi talked about the fact that as he did last week that this is a chance for him to author his redemption story Nigel Bradham I told him Lane Johnson's comments and he said he feels there's a legitimate chance that they're going to go in there and win this football game so they realize the job isn't done I think like you said there was just enough celebration to make you realize that these players appreciate the moment as much as the fan base does but these guys are going to Minnesota on a business trip. They're not mm-hmm. going out there to celebrate or be content with the fact that they won the Hallis Trophy, they won the NFC. They're going there to attempt to win their first Super Bowl. And one thing I thought was pretty telling of how passionate these players are about you know, going to the Super Bowl and how kind of focused they are is 
I've seen Malcolm Jenkins give almost every press conference since he was signed by the Eagles. And me and you talk about both on the pot and length about how he really is amazing at the podium. The way he answers every question. Um, he talks about difficult subjects. He'll sit there, you know, for 40 minutes if he, ha- if he has to to yep. answer every question. He was answering a question tonight about playing in the Super Bowl. I asked him, you know, what do you think about the challenge of playing the Patriots and Tom Brady? And he was talking. And in between, he, he stopped and he said, oh, man, I almost cursed. And that's the <laughs> first time I've ever heard him do that. Like, the passion that he was talking about with they're fired up i mean look i i'm i forget the exact wording he used but he said something like you know the patriots we respect them but they're in our way and if we have to we'll run through them and that's always kind of been this team's motto since Wentz went down and you know, we, as we always say on the podcast, we read every single review you guys leave us. So we know that when Wentz went down, people thought we were being overly negative. And I don't think at the time we were, but when we were recording our videos after the game, I said, look, we're going to talk about Nick Foles as a potential Super Bowl MVP, yep. which is crazy to think, but they're going to the Super Bowl if Nick Foles is their quarterback and he's playing red hot right now. So let's get into Elliot. a bit of that. Go ahead. Elliot. Read it his, out. His numbers tonight. All right. right. Let, let's get into the game. Here you go. 26 of 33, 352 yards, three touchdowns, including a 53-yard bomb. Do you want to guess his passer rating? I'm guessing over 100. Uh, try 141.4. Wow. Now, And that was, keep in mind, against the number one defense in the NFL. And they put up 38 points, 31 of which uh, on the backs of the offense. Mm-hmm. And I tweeted at halftime, and I know it kind of rubbed some Eagles fans the wrong way, but they did this without Carson Wentz. I mean, it was Carson who based on Nick Foles' performance in the first half. And that to me should inspire a lot of confidence about this team's chances of beating the Patriots and winning the Super Bowl. because you just talk about where this team is right now and what Foles was able to do tonight. And this speaks so much more about Doug Peterson, about the team that Howie Roseman assembled and the way that Nick Foles played than it does about surviving without Carson Wentz. I mean, mm-hmm. this is a complete team. It's a hit team. It's a team that's completely bought into its head coach and their quarterback now by a guy in Nick Foles is playing with plenty of confidence. And he showed you that he can put up some significant results against a significant. So I want to drop two subtle brags real quick. First, I told you guys the Vikings defense was a little overrated called it. Second, I said Nick Foles was going to have a good game tonight. Three touchdowns, pass rating of 140. And here's why I was confident about that and why I think based off what you saw tonight, Eagles fans should be confident going forward. Nick Foles is in a groove right now. And I I think one thing that I know I failed to take into account when he was struggling early was how much things were kind of off schedule. And for an athlete, a schedule is so key and kind of staying in the groove is so key. I mean, Foles took over a team, you know, he played against, he had one week of practice from the Rams game to the Giants game, he threw four touchdowns. Then he had a weird week where it was Christmas and they were doing walkthroughs, struggled against the Raiders. Then they had the meaningless week 17 game. So if you look at like his schedule, the two times this year, he's played in a game on Sunday and played the following week with a normal week of practice. Seven combined touchdowns. He's done it twice. Seven combined touchdowns, zero, zero interceptions. So what was amazing tonight that you saw from, from Foles was it wasn't just that he played well. He had a lot, a lot of moments where he looked like Carson Wentz. I mean, the way he navigated the pocket, the way he stood in there. I mean, his touchdown pass to Alshon Jeffrey, that looked a lot like the touchdowns you would see from Wentz this year yep. where he was standing. I mean, he doesn't look as, as athletic doing it, but he stands in the pocket. He's got both hands on the football. He's waiting for the play to 
develop. He's not letting the pressure get to him. And he's keeping his eyes down the field. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know one of the things I respect in a quarterback more than anything is their ability to keep their eyes down the field. Sam Bradford could never do it. Carson Wentz was elite at it. Tonight, Foles was elite at keeping his eyes down the field. And we saw the results. A long touchdown pass to Torrey Smith and a long touchdown pass to uh, um, Alshon Jeffrey. You done patting yourself on the back? Yeah, well, I, well, I am. Can but... I jump in and, and pat my own you know, shoulders? Well, first here? let me say... Everyone enjoyed my mentions because I knew Alshon was going to kill it, but I knew well, it because right. well, I knew it because, because I wrote it because I well, yeah, because you wrote it exactly, but also because everybody always gets my mentions when he does well. So of course, congratulations to everyone that supported Alshon all season. I was proven wrong. Yeah, I am going to give myself a helmet sticker here because I feel like I really set the agenda for this week on not only what we talked about going in, but how this game played out. I mean, I wrote early on that Alshon Jeffrey had more success against the Vikings than any other team. He had mm-hmm. seven touchdowns against them, even though he. Played Played him twice a year, even though they were in the same division. He had more touchdowns against the Vikings than he did against the Packers, than he did against the Lions as a member of the Bears. His numbers tonight, Elliot, targeted five times, five catches, 85 yards, two touchdowns, and he averaged a whopping 17 yards per reception, which trailed only Nelson Aguilar's 19.7 for the entire game. Mm-hmm. So I, I look at Alshon Jeffrey, and I wrote about this when they signed him to the extension. I give a hat tip to Howie Roseman, but I said that they brought Alshon Jeffrey here to go to a Super Bowl. They brought Alshon Jeffrey here to be a component on a team that's built for prolonged success. You saw tonight in the biggest game of the season against the number one defense in the NFL, he had his best game as an Eagle. He set a tone for the offense, and in a lot of ways, he carried them to Minnesota. So, um, Pat, you on the back for your (laughs) Nick Foles call. Helmet sticker to me for what we were able to talk about this week and what Alshon Jeffrey went out there and did tonight. But they, they were integral to the Eagles getting this thing done tonight. And a guy that another guy that I've ripped a lot had a big game tonight wasn't even on the field. Howie Roseman. I mean, all over the field tonight. You look at it. Torrey Smith touchdown. Bar uh, maybe not bargain signing, but a guy that Howie brought in. Alshon touchdown. Legarrette Blunt definitely a bargain signing. Signed late in free agency. Signed when other teams could have just offered him more money. The Eagles brought him in. He had a great game. Patrick Robinson. A guy that in training camp, yep. you know, every day we would sit there and we weren't just being haters. He was playing really bad in training camp. Coaches would basically say it. He was saying it. He struggled. And it really did. It ended up saving the Eagles season in a lot of ways. But it really ended up saving his season, making him play much better when he got moved in as a nickel corner. And tonight he makes probably the play of the game because we were there at the beginning of the game. You could feel the energy in the yep. stadium when the Vikings went right down the field and scored. The, it, it was, got you, sucked you, you, out you of could, here. You could drop yeah. a pin in there. It was dead quiet, and they were still struggling. And then Patrick Robinson makes that interception, and it really changed the game. Did you read the four downs on NJ.com this week? Always. Talk to Patrick Robinson, not only to get his scouting report at Case Keenum, but for everything you just talked about, about his disappointing summer and his disappointing training camp, where we both wrote it, we both tweeted it, we both thought it. He had an uphill battle just to make this roster, and I talked about him, talked to him about that this week, kind of, you know, this summer and what it's been like. He said, it feels good. It feels really good. There's no other way to explain it. It's a really good feeling to be in this position, to be able mm-hmm. to maybe go to the Super Bowl. That was the goal all along, and it really feels good to me. Just think about where this guy was. He was a guy they brought in here as a free agent signing. They moved him into the nickel, and that really changed his season. But he was getting lit up and down the field by yeah. Mac Hollins, by Torrey Smith, by... 
Just about uh, Jordan Matthews, while he was here, made a couple of big plays back in training camp against well, Patrick I mean, Jordan, Robinson. Jordan Matthews lights up everybody. Right, he's so better that, than Alshon exactly. Jeffrey, right? So that's, so, not, that's nothing new. But, but you look at where Patrick Robinson is now, he turned the tide of this game. And I mean, mm-hmm. that pick six, and we, we got to talk about Chris Long, I was going to say, who got the pressure on that? He, he tipped Case Keenum's hand, which forced yeah. it. He also had the strip sack of Jared Goff that won the game against the Rams back when Carson Wentz got hurt in week 14. Uh, those two guys have been huge. I mean, you talk about additions to this team that weren't here a year ago. Chris Long, impact play tonight. Patrick Robinson, a play of the year to turn the game around. Alshon mm-hmm. Jeffrey, two touchdowns. Torrey Smith wasn't here a year ago. A, another touchdown on a flea flicker, which started as a handoff to Corey Clement, a rookie who wasn't yep. here. This is the Howie Roseman show. It was. I mean, the Howie Roseman additions powered this team into the Super Bowl tonight. So let's talk about that play. I mean, not just the Patrick Robinson play. Let's talk about the play of the defense. So yep. Patrick Robinson makes that interception. Really great run to run it back. They tie the game. That tied it up 7-7. Seven to seven. Um, Then the offense goes down. They take the lead. The defense, after that initial drive where they let up the touchdown, and it did look bad on that initial drive. Najee good. They looked like they were having some communication issues uh, between – the rest of the players and good, and he got kind of got lost in coverage, and Kyle Rudolph uh, got the touchdown. And when, when they did that, I got to say, uh, after kind of banging the drum all week saying the Eagles were going to win, I got a little like, all right, this isn't looking good, because the Vikings went right down the field. And honestly, they were driving again. I mean, it was 14-7. Yep. to 7. They were probably at, I don't know, the 12-yard line or so, and I believe it was Derek Barnett. I think this was the time he forced the fumble. Comes up with a huge strip strip sack, takes the ball away. That was a huge point in the game, too, because even if they bring it to 14-10 to 10 or they tie the game, I mean, you're talking about going from potentially 14-10 to 10 to instead they get the strip sack, and on the next play, um, the Eagles are not, not the next play, the next drive, they go down the field, they score, they take a 21-7 to 7 lead. And when they went up 21-7, to 7, at that point, I was pretty sure it was over. Oh, I started legitimately looking for flights at that you point. You did, to- there. To book them, yep. And they're not cheap Eagles fans. No. If you're thinking about uh if you're thinking about going, I would suggest booking ASAP because an Eagles Patriots Super Bowl is not going to be cheap and you should look at flights and hotels right now. Yep. And that that drive just going back to after the Derek Barnett uh, fumble. Right. 12 plays, 75 yards. Garrett Blunt scores the touchdown. It took six minutes and 20 seconds off the clock. That mm. That's how you set the tone in a championship game. That's how you beat the number one defense. You keep them on the field, and, and you run it down their throats until they can't stop it. Until they show that they can stop it, rather. And I got to give Doug Peterson a lot of credit because in every facet, he seemed like he had a play drawn up Mm -hmm. to exploit a weakness in the Minnesota defense, whether it was, you know, because of the offensive line playing so well and just running it right up the middle, whether it was the trick play on the the flea flicker, whether it was the deep bomb to Alshon Jeffrey. He just seemed to exploit any and all mismatches that were presented. And I I think one thing that really stuck out today, and it kind of shows how he's been all season. Was all right. So the Eagles are up twenty-one to seven. They get the ball with about fifty seconds, or maybe it was a little more than a minute to go. Earlier in the day, when the Jaguars were playing the Patriots and they had a big lead, the Jaguars got the ball with about a minute to go. Had a lead, basically the same exact situation. They kneel on the ball and just basically kill the last fifty seconds of the half um, and go into the locker room. Doug stayed aggressive. Uh, I mean, he threw it deep down the field. I believe it was Ertz caught uh, around a catch. You have the playbook in front of you. But I think it was about 30 yards or so. But regardless of how they got down there, Doug stayed aggressive. 
and they kick a field goal at the half. And it was very similar to last week against the Atlanta Falcons where um, they get a field goal before the half. At that point, they were pulling to within 10 to 9, uh, as opposed to this week, they went up 24 to 7. But the momentum of kicking that field goal really, I think, carried the Eagles into into the locker room, and halftime seemed to fly by. And they by never the turtled up. And you got to remember that they deferred the opening coin toss, which meant that they get the ball at the start of the second half. And Doug stayed aggressive. I mean, he came out. Pass to Torrey Smith, pass to Torrey Smith, run up the middle, short pass to Alshon Jeffrey, run up the middle, run up the middle, Nick Foles, the bomb, 41 yards mm-hmm. to Torrey Smith for the touchdown, and that put the game on ice, 31-7, to but it would have been really easy, and we've watched how many Andy Reid playoff games as coach of the Eagles, we saw Andy Reid turtle up at halftime you know, against the Tennessee Titans and cough up an 18-point league, mm-hmm. Doug stayed aggressive, and I think that he des- deserves a lot of credit for that, a- and that kind of stayed with the way that he's coach this team all year the fact that you're you know not just protecting a 24 to 7 lead but you're going for the jugular on your first drive of the second half I thought that that was a critical moment in the game and it just underscored Doug Peterson's trademarked aggressiveness but that put them in this position all throughout the course of the year so I mean they go up 31 to 7 the game is basically over at that point um, this is where, you know, we start talking about you were booking your, your flight to Minnesota. Um, we're talking about what we're going to do post game. Um, the scene where they put the, you know, they dumped the Gatorade on Doug. That was pretty awesome to see from, from far away. But I guess when you look at this game, what did the Eagles do well that surprised you against the Vikings? Um, where you didn't think they were going to be able to do it. I mean, I think well, we, let's we, see here. We, let's we, go <laughs> back to that Nick Foles. I was going to say, line. we, we uh, both thought the Eagles would win, but I didn't right. think either of us thought they were going to win. We both picked them to win by this. Nick I mean, Foles. Yeah, Nick Foles was 352 yards and three touchdowns. He was only sacked once. He didn't turn it over. So there's a check mark yeah. for me. There's one thing I didn't think they'd be able to do. Total first downs, 27 against the number one defense in the league. Didn't expect them to do that. What were they on third down today? Uh, they were 10 of 14 for wow. 71% And, and on let's third not down. forget, this Vikings defense was the best number one in the league. De- not, not just the number one yep. third defense in the league. An historically great third down defense, yep. allowing only 25% on average of, of first downs on third down attempts. That was the best, I think, in like 40 or 50 years. So historically great. And what that is something that Foles has been a lot better on. I mean, they were something like one of 17 in yeah. his first two games on third down. Or I mean, against the uh, Raiders and then some of the uh, Cowboys game. They've been a lot better on third down. They were 6-13 last week. You said 10-14 of 14 today? Yes. So, I mean, I, that, that arrow is obviously only trending up. What were the Vikings on third down? Uh, they were 6-13 of 13 for 46%. Not bad, not bad, but still. Red zone, Eagles 2-2, two for two, 100%. And time of possession, which I go. tweeted very early in the game, was going to be a key to grind out the clock. 34 minutes and 4 seconds, they controlled the ball for over half the game. Mm-hmm. And that's honestly... What they did last year against the Vikings, when yep. you look at how they won that game, I mean, Wentz didn't play as well last year as Foles did tonight, but when they won the game last year, they did it by controlling the clock, the defense dominated, and this is what you know I was saying all week, the Vikings defense is not good at creating turnovers, they're not a playmaking defense, they, they don't allow yard, a lot of yards and points, but they don't make a ton of plays. Eagles defense tonight, interception in a key moment, strip sack in a key moment. And to me, that's the mark of a great defense, not just somebody that keeps you off the scoreboard. People that do that but also can make big plays. Yards of total offense for the Eagles. Take a guess. 350? 456 yards of total offense. What what, what did uh, they end up with running the ball? Uh, They ended up running the football net yards rushing 110. So uh, to get over 100 yards of rushing offense, to get over 450 yards of total offense against that defense, 
Bill Belichick has to sit up and take notice of that. And I wrote it right after the game that I think we're about to see a changing of the guard in the NFL in two weeks because the Eagles looked like the fun bunch. They well, let's not like, give away our picks yet. I'm, I'm not. All I'm right, just saying right. that they've looked like the fun, confident, swag-filled bunch yeah. the entire year. And that was back tonight. I mean, you saw in the fourth quarter when the Eagles lined up for the kickoff following their last touchdown – they were mocking the skull chant. They had mm-hmm. players clapping their hands over their head and the fans chanting, Foles, yep. Foles, Foles. The celebrations were back tonight. The Eagles were fired up from before pregame tonight. And they went out and they backed it up against this defense at home. And you just think about long-term, Carson Wentz is going to be here for a decade. Alshon Jeffrey is here for four more years. You've seen the impact of their draft picks, including Ron- Derek Darby. Barnett. Ronald, Ronald Darby, Darby is going to be game here. Tonight. Yep, Mal- Malcolm Jenkins had a big game, couple game-saving tackles. The Eagles are going to be around for a long time. And mm-hmm. just like I said, I wrote about it immediately after the game. You can read it right now at nj.com slash Eagles. I think there's a changing of the guard coming, and the Patriots have been put on no- notice by so, this Eagles team. I agree with everything you're saying right there. I 100% agree. But... Eagles got a good opportunity in front of them. I mean, you know, Brent Selleck talked, and that was one thing a lot of players said in the locker room after the game was they realize that opportunities like this don't come a lot, especially in Philadelphia. I mean, Brent Selleck, his second year in the league, played in the conference championship game against the Cardinals, lost, figured he'd be there every year, hasn't been back since. I mean, you know, the Eagles have a few Super Bowl winners. I guess Chris Long just goes every year. He was there last year with the Patriots. Yeah, seven. Yeah, Yeah, he's going back this year with the Eagles, obviously. But I agree the Eagles are going to be, you know, this, this will be the subject of podcasts to come. And I agree they're going to be around for a while. But... I do think there's something special with this team right now that yep. you can feel every time you're around them and every time you watch them play. And, you know, we'll talk about the X's and O's of, of, of the game. We got two long weeks. Let's talk about these two weeks. I mean, you you covered the Super Bowl last year, yep. so you know what it's like. For Eagles fans that maybe don't know what these two weeks are going to be like, it's going to be a zoo. I mean, you think the last week was crazy. Eagles are going to be in Philadelphia for a week. They'll probably have a normal practice schedule. Then they fly to Minnesota, and once they get to Minnesota, I mean, the majority of the work they'll do for the Super Bowl will take place over the next seven days. Correct. When they get to Minnesota, they will be practicing, but it won't be the same. I mean, they're going to get a lot of their work and pre- preparation for yep. the Patriots over these next seven games. Yep, the game plan will be installed this week. They'll be focusing in on all that this week, and I think that because of all of the distractions of Super Bowl week and all of mm-hmm. the full-team media obligations – where you're in the hotel lobby, lobby in the ballroom rather, doing your interview obligations every day and everything else you have to do around the Super Bowl, that week is just about staying sharp and yeah. going over things that the Eagles are going to practice for the next five or so days here in Philadelphia. But I, I like we talked about, Elliot, before, I mean, you have seven guys who have been through this before. You have seven mm-hmm. players on this team who have won Super Bowl rings in the past so they can impart that and- wisdom on their teammates just as Doug Peterson had them do before the pack – the, uh, the the Falcons game right. and before the Viking game, and tonight. I think that the Eagles, in some ways, are uniquely uh, capable of come. I mean, stepping into the stage. I mean, look, you're not going to be as prepared as the Patriots are to handle it. The Patriots go every single year. Tom Brady's done, you know, more media days than than you yep. know everyone. I mean, this guy, they they know what they're walking into, but. I think two things. One, the Eagles, the fact that they stayed out in California, I'm not saying that's a huge edge. It's and, a nice warm-up. But it's a nice warm-up. Yep. They're, they're, the, early in the year when they stayed in California for a week, they know what it's like to be away from home and prepare for a game. I think that helps. But two, the Eagles play in one of the largest media markets in the world. We go to different NFL events and we see it. They're used to dealing with the media. Media night might be a little crazy to them, but the hoopla and the media is not going to 
not going to intimidate them. These guys are used to dealing with media. They're yep. used to being on center stage. And I think that's important heading into next week. And you just talk about the logistics of where they're going to be. They'll be staying up by Mall mm-hmm. of America, where a lot of the media availability is going to be throughout the week. Super Bowl experience is out that way. And then they'll bus over to the University of Minnesota, practice at their facilities. And yep. those are world-class Big Ten facilities that just got a complete remodel and renovation over the last two years. So you know that they're going to have, similar to the Novacare Complex, and maybe even better yeah. in terms of facilities, locker rooms, training rooms, meeting rooms. It's all state-of-the-art. And, you know, college programs, that's how they recruit players, by Mm -hmm. how nice their facilities are and how up-to-date they are. So the Eagles are going to have some really outstanding world-class facilities to practice in. Um, And then they'll practice through Friday, and then they'll be hunkered down Saturday night. I don't think we're going to see them out partying. I think this is a battle-tested group that knows what's at stake. And then once Sunday rolls around, it's hurry up and wait. You wake up, and a lot of players who have played in Super Bowls before have talked about just how much of a challenge that is to wake up at a normal time, go to team breakfast, sit around you're probably not going to get on the team bus until maybe two three o'clock in the afternoon then you go to the stadium and then everything there is kind of a normal game but it's getting to the stadium on Super Bowl Sunday which a lot of players have talked about that being one of the bigger challenges yeah and I think one thing I forget who said it to me but I think it's true there's something about there's something I mean obviously winning the Super Bowl is ultimate goal but in, in some ways, this was the last real week of football because now it's going to be the hoopla. Now it's going to be media night. Now it's going to be they're playing in Minnesota, which, by the way, Eagles fans have taken over a lot of stadiums this year. I think when we see the the stadium and what the fan breakdown is for Super Bowl, it might be 70% Eagles fans. Oh, yeah. Because if you're the Patriots fans, you go there every year, you're not, you're not paying to go to Minnesota. I mean, no. so I think Eagles fans will take over the stadium. Um, um, for sure. And, and I was talking to Adam Kaplan of ESPN about this just outside the Eagles locker room. I mean, you look at, you know, the Patriots, like you said, Elliot, this is old hat to them. They've yeah. been to six or seven Super Bowls um, as an organization. They've won five of them. If you're the if you're a Patriots fan, are you really flying out to Minnesota so that Saturday the night before the game, a high of 14 degrees, a low overnight of one degree with snow, right. Super Bowl Sunday, you're going to wake up, it's 14 degrees. By game time, it's going to be two degrees with 15 mile an hour winds. And throughout the rest of the week, it's not going to get over 25 degrees the entire, entire seven days. So right. I think Eagles fans are going to relish this opportunity, but I think this might be one of those years where Patriot fans might say, well... The game's in Atlanta next year, and in two or three years, it's going to be in L.A. This is a chance for Eagles fans to really make a dent in terms of the Super Bowl atmosphere and experience. So before we did this podcast, we made a list of things to talk about, which we never do. But we're we're Super Bowl week now, so we got to step our game up. We got to be more efficient. It's like the radio days. Exactly. Did did we hit everything? Uh, Initial thoughts? Check. Got it. Scene afterwards? Check. Foles? Check. Eagles defense? Check. LeGarrette Blunt's TD? Truck stick, yep. you know, right up the middle, ran with a lot of aggression, ran hard, Check. talked about it. Alshon, helmet Check. sticker. Yep. Doug Peterson. I, uh, I took my L on that one. Yes, you did. Doug. Doug, Doug Peterson, we talked about that. And, of course, the next two weeks, it's going to be unique. We laid out where the Eagles are staying, what they'll be doing. Um, it, it's been a hell of a ride, my man. I yeah. remember in Carolina, 
the first time either one of us really uttered the words Super Bowl with this team, I remember looking across the field and seeing the keep pounding sign yep. after the Eagles went into Atlanta on a Thursday night on a short week without Lane Johnson and won the game. And here we are in the penultimate Sunday night in January with a kid doing snow angels and confetti at Lincoln <laughs> I know. We're, we're looking out of the field right now. People are doing snow angels in the confetti. Yeah. People are still out there celebrating. I can only imagine what it's like out in Philadelphia right now. Hopefully my car, our cars are okay in the uh, the parking lot. You have a better chance than mine. Mine's in a tailgate lot. Yeah, You're you in got, the nice cushion exactly. media lot. Yeah, you yeah. got screwed. But uh, all right, so I think we're going to wrap this one up. But it's going to be an exciting two weeks, guys. Um, lots of stuff in the works uh, for the No Huddle Show. We're really excited to bring you, I mean, multiple, multiple podcasts. Like, you'd think we were doing them before. Wait for these next two weeks. It's two more weeks and we're done, guys. Do two yourself more a weeks. favor. Subscribe. Yeah, because there are going to be a lot of surprises mm-hmm. once we get to Minnesota. Um, we've talked all year about guests. We'll get ready. It's going to be an action-packed week yep. in Minnesota. We have a whole week this week where we might be dropping podcasts when you least expect them. Right. So iTunes, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud. Cloud, Stitcher, Spreaker, all of those places. Subscribe. Follow Elliot on Twitter at Elliot Short Parks. I'm at Matt Lombardo PHL. Subscribe. Five star reviews. You know I was the drill. Say, you know the most, exci- the most exciting part of this is. We got a chance at 500 Yes, now. we do. We're at, f- we're at 423 reviews. We're really trying to get to 500. We got two weeks to do it, guys. We can get to 500 by the Super Bowl. So as I started off the podcast with, I know Matt feels this way too, congratulations to everyone listening out there. It's been a long season. It's been ups and ups and downs, you know, times where you thought they were definitely going and times where you thought there was no way, no way they were going to do it. But here we are. We're all going to the Super Bowl. You guys are going to be there with us. Yep. We're going to bring you podcasts all the week, tons of coverage, and it's going to be an amazing two weeks. So thanks, everybody that yep. listens. And, and real quick on the way out, I just want to say thanks to the guy who stopped me in the airport in Carolina and said, listening to your podcast mm-hmm. right now, you guys are crushing it. I want to say thanks go. to all of the random people who tweet in, all of the friends and everybody who checks in and says they love the show, everybody that's left a review. It's been a fun year, and like Elliot said – it's not over yep, yet. Let's do it. We're all going to be together for these next two weeks. So it'll be fun. So Matt, we will have our hot take pod for you guys on Tuesday morning. I think maybe tomorrow on Monday, but who knows? Probably Tuesday. So send us some reviews. I mean, not reviews. Send us some tweets. Send us some emails. Let us know what you want to talk about. And we'll talk about it on Tuesday. Matt, I'll talk to you Tuesday. See you Tuesday.